0: Two, three,
1: four. Hey everyone! Today's guest is singer-songwriter KT Tunstall from Edinburgh, Scotland. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the hit single "Black Horse and the Cherry Tree," taken from her 2004 debut album, "Eye to the Telescope." On first listen. One wouldn't necessarily think this is a blues song, but it's definitely rooted in the blues, in its stripped-down approach. Katie had been using a loop pedal while playing out live solo, and when going in to make the record, she really wanted the recording to still have that stripped-down feel, albeit with a full band. She credits producer Steve Osborne with helping her achieve just this. And the lyrics? Wow. Talk about left field. I had absolutely no idea what this song was about and the trip she takes us on with that is super cool. KT mentioned that there are lines within the song that aren't necessarily referencing the lyrical subject matter, things from her past and such that bled into the tracks lyrics, and there are some amazing things going on percussively here that aren't your traditional way of creating sounds that I absolutely love. So for all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista
2: makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. If you wanna impress Scottish people, you do not say Edinburgh or Glasgow. You have to say Edinburgh. <laughs> And Glasgow,
1: <laughs> Glasgow and Edinburgh, exactly. And uh, yeah. do you ever play a venue called the Picture House?
2: I remember it actually in Edinburgh. I've never played it myself, but it was a really. Um, I'm not sure if it's, is it still there. it was always it was always in danger of closing. It was one of those amazing venues that everybody loved that was always struggling against, you know, developers trying to take it over, but a great venue.
1: Yeah, my band played there once, and it, I just remember it being just one of those, I don't know, sp- special gigs, you Yeah, know, just such a great place with so much history. And then, of course, we've done the O2 academies and, and all that stuff there. But uh, when I saw you were from Edinburgh, I'm like, man, the Picture House, such a great venue. Yeah. And uh, for the listeners, your debut album, Eye to the Telescope, was released on the 13th of December, 2004 and the song we're going to talk about today, Black Horse and the Cherry Tree, just took off from that record. And it's just such such a cool song.
2: Well, thank you. It was a very cool story with that song, too, because the album was in the bag, as they say, and did not include that song.
1: Do you know how many times I've heard that where it's like <laughs> the, the song that everyone gravitates to, people are like, we almost left that off the album.
2: I feel like I heard that about Yellow with Coldplay. I don't know if that was, that's correct information, but it seems like when the pressure is taken off an artist to have the singles for a record, they then go and write an absolute banger. And with this one, I'd made the record with Steve Osborne, amazing producer who worked with U2 and Doves and, and various different great bands, Placebo. And um, we'd done the record very DIY and very lo-fi. So it was really just a drummer, and then me and Steve filling in the gaps and then hiring in a bass player here and there, but Steve was a bass player and I would do some keys and then we would get a keys person if we needed something a little bit better than I could do. But it was a, be- <laughs> a very small number of people in a very low-fi space and uh, But it really did end up a very rhythmic kind of garage band sounding record.
1: It's insane when I went and looked at videos. I went and saw performances, especially the one on Later with Jules Holland. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yes. So, I mean, this was the day that changed my life, right? So the day went like this. Nas the rapper, was due to appear on Later with Jules Holland, which, if you aren't familiar, is the holy grail of music shows in the UK. Oh, yeah. Um, and what he does is he'll have about five bands in the round, and you'll have anyone from Brian Ferry to Van Morrison to, I mean, just, you know, the, I, there's been everyone in all stars on this show then he'll have like an indie band he might have Future islands or you know uh maggie rogers or someone kind of in the in that middle status of uh success and then he'll always have brand new people and you basically go around in the circle and you play a song each and so nas the rapper was meant to be on the show he pulled out 24 hours in advance and For some reason, I got the call, as an unknown singer-songwriter, to be the new uh, artist on the show. And this song was really written after I'd finished the record and I realized I did not want to play solo with guitar, confessional, open mic style anymore. I needed to get that injection of rhythm into my music because to me the rhythm felt just as important as the melody and the chord changes and the lyrics. And so my friend Mosh, who was a sound guy for a band that I was kind of uh, just moonlighting with and doing some singing with, had this Akai Headrush pedal in his bag. And at the end of rehearsal one day, he said, why don't you try this? And let's mess about with it and see if you can get some rhythm going on it. And um, I'd seen people do guitar lines. I'd seen people do vocals, but I'd never seen anyone do both together. And the eureka moment for me was I'd never seen anyone bash the shit out of their guitar to get a, a beat. And so when I first tried that, it sounded terrible. And so we realized that we had to actually insert an EQ and start to really manipulate the sound a bit, flatten it out, take all the middle out. That's the trick, by the way, if you want your acoustic to sound good through the loop pedal, just carve out your middle. Um, (laughs) And we got there and suddenly there I was being able to pretty much recreate most of the band sounds On a loop pedal by myself. And um, I think that, you know, the show was so impactful because, first of all, many people hadn't seen a loop pedal being used. Um, And secondly, I think they were kind of surprised to see it being used by a girl you know it was guitar pedals have just always you know been the the world of boys historically and not so much now thankfully but um and and i, I you know let's acknowledge those amazing female uh, rock guitarists who've come up and been the anomalies during that time but i think it was sort of refreshing uh for people to see this little girl on tv like using a spaghetti junction pedal rig and and creating a band on her own so it, um yeah it really kind of fired me out of a cannon the next day people went crazy for it so
1: is uh, the loop pedal the only thing you can multitask with or outside of music are you a multitasker as well
2: i would say i'm pretty much a multitasker across the board and it's kind of you know it, it comes out of it comes out of need it, and yes. i tend to I tend to adapt very quickly to learning something if I need it. <laughs> I'm not particularly good at applying myself and learning just from a from a point of view of interest and and uh, diligence. It's much more if I need to do something, I'll get it. I'll get it learnt very fast. Um, and so I play a bit of drums. I'm a, I, I started off as a keyboard player. I was a classical pianist for many years. Um, oh, cool! I had a cool beginning where uh, I was clearly like. Gravitating towards music at a very young age. And I start, I asked my parents for piano when I was four years old. And, um, I, my music teacher not that long ago reminded me that I turned up for my grade one exam at, at when I was five, I think with my coloring book instead of my music, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty much like a report card for who I am for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, I, I I absolutely kind of slam dunked my first exam by just of memory, not not needing the music. And I think that was really that's really more along the lines of how I like to play and learn is just by ear rather than read. So I do read and I can read and I can write, but I, I never had any, sorry, humble humble brag, but I, I had twelve years of piano lessons, but I never got lessons on piano or for singing, and there was something very liberating about that. But it was really good having that, having that piano basis for and, and theory understanding, and so I, I always sort of think of the piano as the mothership. It's a really, mm-hmm. really great instrument to learn first. I think it gives you. Um, it, it teaches you the language of music in a really clear way because you can see your hands in front of you do you know with the chord structures and everything.
1: I can only hack through a piano, but I've written songs on it because it's so primitive.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you, you, you I think in terms of finding your way on a new instrument, it is a, it's a very, I think it's a, a great instrument to start on because you can see what you're doing and you can see the notes. I, I still am very. Scrappy on guitar because you can't like turn around and look at your hand and see what you're playing <laughs> You kind of just have to learn the places and um, and then I also took up classical flute. So I'm a flautist. and uh, that, What else I don't play anything in the violin family you would never catch me Managing any of that, but that's kind of the only thing I couldn't really get a decent tune out of
1: well, that's that's awesome so what were some of your influences? Because this song, in particular, just—it doesn't sound Scottish to me. Your, no. your accent, your accent doesn't come across. It sounds like some American singers. I want to yeah. see who you, who maybe your influences were, and if I was kind of in in the ballpark.
2: Well, I'll tell you where the stealth Scottish influence comes in that in that song, which is if you grew up in England. The very bog standard beat that you hear is going to be a backbeat. You know, it's all those great bands, Beatles, Kinks, even Rolling Stones, who are, you know, very, very uh, transatlantic sounding, but you would have a boot, gat, boot, gat. And you would, you would always have that is the standard go-to beat of a song. And when it comes to Scotland and Ireland, we have such an intrinsic and powerful influx of Celtic music yes. in our cultures, and we grew up listening to it. So when I grew up in, in you know, elementary school, by, by, I don't know, mid-November, you weren't doing phys ed anymore. You were doing Scottish country dance training. So <laughs> all the kids were taught traditional Scottish country dance in, in kind of uh, preparation for the Christmas party where we would have a ceilidh, which is just a total riot. It, it's basically like Viking dancing. It's just amazing that there's all these kind of different dances and moves that you learn as a kid. And um, I hope they still do that in schools. So I don't know if they do in Scotland. But, but all of these tunes are a four to the floor pulse. It's It's always four to the floor beats. And so the traditional music of where I grew up is more likely to be a full four to the floor beat than it is to be a backbeat. So with Black Horse, it was a very natural thing for me to do this full on four to the floor pulse. That's yeah. probably more natural to me than a bar band beat, you know?
3: Sure. And sure. so
2: what was really interesting was that when I would, when I would take my songs to play with, a, with other musicians, they would usually defer to a backbeat and it would just suddenly sound flat and boring when i play so i i played solo a lot and i still play solo a lot because um i'm able to craft and of course if i play with musicians now then i'm just like play the floor the floor dude <laughs> you can yeah. play the snare as much as you want but let's go let's go full on but so that pulse and then i got really into dance music when i was 14 or 15 um like left field and dj shadow and Chemical Brothers.
1: Which isn't much different from the the traditional classics that you're talking about. You know, those dances that you were learning. Doom, doom, doom. That's your electronica beats.
2: Yeah, exactly right. And and the thing that was really fascinating to me was it made me feel the same way. And on my third record, I was really, really going into that. Like, I called it nature techno. And I was like, how come left field makes me feel the same as Eddie Cochran? when it's, Uh you know, these just pulsing beats. Um, And I was so interested in the marriage of those two things and always have been with that rhythm being a very, very kind of intrinsic part of my music. And so I didn't listen to music growing up. My parents didn't listen to music. My dad had like enough cassettes you could count on one hand. He had Tom Lehrer, who was like a Harvard mathematician, turned Gilbert and Sullivan style satirist, musician. Brilliant, brilliant guy, an amazing lyricist. Okay. Uh, he had a Billy Holiday cassette, which who I now love and at the time couldn't stand it because it sounded so weird to me. Uh, he had a Vangelis soundtrack of Chariots of Fire, because they <laughs> because they filmed it on the beach where I grew up in St. Andrews. And I have to say that Vangelis remained one of my greatest influences when it came to using electronics and synthesizers. I always go back to, that, to his music. And um, what else did he have? Mozart and Beethoven. And that was kind of it. Um, And so I didn't really get into, and my friends weren't mad for listening to music either. I was much more into theater and performing. And it wasn't till I was kind of in my mid teens when my dad got a satellite dish because he wanted to watch rugby and cricket and I found MTV. Yes. (laughs) And then that just changed everything. And one of the first songs and videos I became obsessed with was Loser by Beck. I'd grown up, you know, as an '80s kid, which, in my humble opinion, was the best decade any human being could grow up in. It was so awesome. It was just pre phones, but just post computers, so you could play Donkey Kong, (laughs) Uh, but you'd have to wait half an hour for for it to load. Yeah. Um. But you know, it was a really, it was a wholesome decade to be a kid in, and it was just the, you know, the most amazing movies and uh and fantastic pop songs and pop singers but i i wasn't really aware of anything super cool at that time i was into adam you know i loved adamant and kim wilde and um george michael and Mm -hmm. whitney houston and madonna but really, it wasn't till I got MTV and saw Loser by Beck. And I also loved that song, Fool's Gold by the Stone Roses, and got very into Stone Roses. Mm-hmm. And just sort of discovered indie guys, basically.
1: Well, again, the song, you know, if I was, and I know traditional Scottish music, and this just, it has its own thing, but it doesn't sound yeah. like I would peg it for being, being Scottish.
2: No, absolutely not. So the other major thing that happened was before, this is a little later on, you know around the time of writing this song and making the first record i got very into old blues Uh. so my first i think my first sort of love affair with a cd was bone machine by tom waits I was like holy shit, this guy's white i thought he was a black dude because mm-hmm. it sounded so bluesy and so that was sort of really cool listening to someone borrow that strongly from blues and i was like oh it's okay for me to sing that way because that feels like a natural way of singing to me to sing in a blues style and then i just really started to get into you know the classics like howling wolf and Sonny boy williamson and uh robert johnson so robert johnson sure. i think was um Listening to his stuff and the, all the old Alan Lomax kind of really old recordings were, were what Steve Osborne and I were listening to a lot in the car as we drove to the studio. We loved this kind of ambient recording where you could hear the feet stomping and the hand clapping mm-hmm. and the background vocals and live mixing in the room by placing people at a distance from one mic. And
1: that's the vibe I get from this track.
2: That's kind of how we were recording too. It was very lo-fi, and um, we were you know we were duct taping comforters on the wall and and so I really wanted to keep that that rawness to the record which I'm so proud of because I think that's probably why it still sounds fresh now and still gets played a lot is it, it still sounds pretty different from a lot of stuff that I hear just a ton of space and I think mm-hmm. Steve and I kind of really um committed to making a record that if you don't use dateable sounds, then it's not really dateable, you know. I guess you could you could be following a style that uh, that would really kind of put a flag in the sand of of, of when you've recorded it. But um Blues is just that. There, that's the shoulders we stand on. Right. Well, as
1: far as far as American singers, I had written down two, and I don't know if you were yeah. a fan or not. What I'm, I'm hearing, interested. what I'm hearing in here, and especially with your rasp, you got such a great raspy bluesy voice. But I'm hearing Melissa Etheridge and Bonnie Raitt. Ah. Oh. Well, let's, thank you
2: so much. Okay. And okay. <laughs> um, I, I actually didn't discover Melissa's music until a bit later on. And I've been extremely lucky in the last year or two to, to play with her and, um, and perform at her amazing uh, getaway concerts. And she is, um, she is incredible. I'm
1: always cautious when I tell you know artists no, or guests I, I, I don't want. It's, it's not a ripoff of these artists at all. It, but there's, no. there's an influence i heard and and uh, I'm glad you said it was i I, I thought yeah, I was it's in a the huge ballpark
2: compliment <laughs> yes, yeah, a huge compliment, but it 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 was quite a discovery to to hear her because, as I said i didn't I didn't hear her until till later on in my own career. um I didn't know her music well, it's just that you know british American thing that sometimes. It it takes a minute to find stuff if it's not come across.
1: Absolutely. And real quick, you talked about Steve Osborne. Uh, Yeah. I I noticed that Andy Green and Martin Tarif are also accredited as producers. Did they produce this track or was this uh, track Steve?
2: This was Steve Osborne. So Andy, the the, the whole it was so interesting because i was very green behind the ears in terms of this process and and i had a uh, it was very very difficult working with my record label because they seemed to think that it would be and helpful for them to just deal with shit and not tell me what they were doing. And so they, I didn't even, I wasn't even told who was mixing the record. I didn't know where the masters had gone. It mm-hmm. was really discombobulating and, and actually very challenging for me at the time because I, I, I'd spent 10 years trying to be an independent musician. I didn't really want to sign a record deal. Um, and not to say that I'm, I'm sorry that I did because it was, it was a very successful record, but it was definitely tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the type of musician I am was never going to sit particularly easy with the, with the record business, mm-hmm. you know. So I remember with that song, it was just Steve, myself and a drummer, I believe. I, I'm trying to jog my memory because I know that Andy, Andy did some production on other side of the world. I don't know if it says in the credits or not. I can't remember off the top of my head. Well,
1: I'm gonna—I'm definitely gonna jog your memory on on some things
3: here. So yeah,
2: the the really cool thing was that I played the, I played the song for my label boss, and then the talent scouts for Jules Holland were coming around to the rehearsal because they'd heard about you know the record coming out, and and my label boss told me to play them Black Horse, which wasn't on the record, and I was thinking, you know, I've got a single for the next album already, and he said play them that one, and I was like, but it's not on the album he said trust me just play them that one and i did and then when i got the call to do the show because Nas, the rapper pulled out at the last minute you know not the most obvious replacement uh, uh, an unknown singer folk singer from scotland i again my label boss said play that song and i just thought it was crazy because we didn't have a recording of it and so i went ahead and played it and of course it just went nuts and we had to rush release the record with a recording of it. So the first 10,000 copies of Eye to the Telescope have the audio from the TV show on it.
0: Well, my have better than I know myself, so I'm going to let it do all the talking.
1: going to jump into this song right now, KT. It's two minutes and 51 seconds. The intro, uh, it's cool. It's just you say in two, three, four. There's a cool slap echo on the vocal here. There's a single clap on two, and there's two claps when you say four. It's a four-bar intro. And there's kind of a signature hook of the song is this woo-hoo vocal that happens four times. Uh, one vocal's panned off to the left, and the higher harmony of that is panned off right. Two, three. I'm hearing what I think is kick drum here, acoustic guitar, pretty much up the middle, a little panned left. And is that a tambourine running through this song or is it a triangle or something? I can't really tell.
2: I'm trying to think. It's hard to remember exactly what we did. We were. I think trying to emulate the vibe of the loop pedal because that was what people were loving so much about the song. So we may have, I know when suddenly I see another song, we looped a cajon on that track to give it that rhythm. So I think what we definitely did was we looped some drum hardware percussion mm-hmm. so you can hear that tick Yes. and I think that's what you're talking about yes. that is that is just drumsticks on the rims right okay it's actually not just the rims it's actually on the on the drum stands so the drummer was basically playing everything but the drums on a drum kit the rims the stands the- yeah
1: and the stands are the the high notes that I'm hearing that almost yeah. sound like a tambourine with the delay or whatever's yeah. on them that's yeah. awesome that is cool. Yeah,
2: so it was, it was basically playing drum stands.
1: <laughs> that is, I, I love stuff like that. I love when it's like, yeah. yeah, we tried a tambourine, we just couldn't get the vibe. And all of a sudden my drummer started beating on the drum stand and voila, we have, yeah. we have, we have the basis for our track.
2: I think the rule of thumb to making raw kind of uh, realer and more unique sounding stuff is to limit what you can use and get creative with it, rather than just adding and adding and adding and this plugin and that plugin and this piece of gear and this instrument, like keep it, keep it cheap and look around the room for something you can hit with a stick.
0: <laughs> well, my heart knows it better than I know myself, so I'm gonna let it do all the talking. Woo-hoo, Woo-hoo. I came across a place in the middle of nowhere with a big black horse and a cherry tree. woo Woo-hoo. I felt a little fear upon my back. I said, Don't look back, just keep on walking. Woo hoo. Woo hoo. When the big black cuss said, Look this way, he said, Helen, you will marry me. Woohoo. Woo hoo. But I said, no.
1: Well, my heart knows me better than I know myself. So I'm going to let it do all the talking. Woo hoo. Woo hoo. I came across a place in the middle of nowhere with a big black horse and a cherry tree. Woo hoo, woo hoo. I felt a little fear upon my back. I said, Don't look back, just keep on walking. Woo hoo, woo hoo. (laughs) Well, the big (laughs) black horse said, Look this way. He said, Hey, lady, will you marry me? And you get those woo hoos one last time before chorus one. What's happening here?
2: So it's partly kind of hilarious because. Part of me wants to say I have no fucking idea what this song is about. <laughs> it's just, it was a complete exercise in automatic writing. So I, because I was writing the song, learning how to use the pedal, I was literally thinking to myself, is there a way of singing a song that feels like a blues number that I can put some backing vocals in that melodically I can have running all the way through, but I can still change chords. That's the hard thing about putting melodic stuff in a loop pedal. You're very limited um, with what chord changes you can make because the the notes aren't gonna match, right? Mm -hmm. So the good thing about blues is that you usually have three chords <laughs> so right. it's a little bit easier
1: this song is very linear but not in a bad way it has to yeah. be because of of what you're speaking of yeah
2: so the the interest in this song really comes from the stop start of the music itself and going in and out of percussive you know acapella percussive moments and then going into melodic chord changes and um, so the lyrics were really you know that classic robert johnson blues man devil at the crossroads And this song was pretty much written about signing my record deal because you would have thought I would have been over the moon. And I have to say, I remember feeling really depressed (laughs) about having to sign a record deal that that was finally what, it it felt like giving in to the man, you know? Mm -hmm. I'd tried to keep it, I'd, I'd come out of a very kind of anarchic, punk folk scene in Fife, where I grew up in Scotland, where they were very anti-record industry and doing it themselves and busking on the street. And, um, and I loved that culture of, of, of freedom and really not having any other cooks in the kitchen but yourself, you know. So I was extremely apprehensive, whilst also excited about signing a record deal. But it really, I felt very torn about signing my name on that line and taking the money and uh, because i knew i knew that you pay you pay again and again after taking that money
1: so so the record man saying hey lady will you marry me will you be part of so
2: so let's say that the record the record label is the black horse and the and the (laughs) and the way of absolute freedom was the cherry tree that's cool and in the song i say no but actually in reality i said yes Mm.
4: Hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with KT after a few words from our sponsors. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the
1: Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB.
4: Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMV, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. And now, back to the show.
1: Well, there's there's a lot going on here. You know, I I I mentioned the the term linear earlier, and again, not in a bad way at all. But I love how the instrumentation you made mention a moment ago comes in and out here. So verse one yeah. here, the guitars go away. It's just that. What I'm calling the tambourine, but it's that high, uh, high stick on the metal stand. There's the kick drum here, and then there's now a hi-hat panned off to the right. There's no acoustics for the first two lines. When the woohoo's come in halfway through, the acoustics come back in, and those woohoo's are also harmonized just like the intro, pan left and panned right. The second half of this verse, uh, the tambourine, triangle, stick noise, <laughs> the hi-hat is panned off right. The acoustics come in uh, on cherry tree, and the woohoo's are Harmonized. I love the back half of verse one here. It's the same music pattern, but it almost sounds panned off left. And KT, you're going to have to help me out here. I can't tell if these are like electronic drum fills panned off or it's you kind of scraping the pick across the strings. When
0: the big black said, Look this way, he said, hey.
2: oh yeah there was there was a hundred percent zero electronic about this song um so when I play with the loop pedal I use my damp dampened strings as percussion so the first thing I do is I beat the 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 the, the 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 guitar like a drum to get the beat and then to get that percussive stuff I dampen all the strings with my left hand and just use the pick to get a percussive scraping sound so you get that
1: it's awesome, and you can really hear it later in the song.
2: This is also a, a, a kind of more upbeat version of Woke Up This Morning, right? B-na-na-na-na. Woke Up This Morning, there's no music. Uh-huh. There's music in between. <laughs> it is a lot like So it's a, it's, you know, it's a blues trick right. of blues writing that you have this riff and then you have some lyrics without the music, and then you have the riff.
1: I love the palm muting thing you're doing there with the percussiveness, because again, it really does sound like those 80s electronic drums panned off left. I absolutely love that. I also like here on the woohoo on the second half, there's one hi-hat hit panned off left. It's the only time in the song that that happens. Mm.
0: Black horse on a
2: cherry tree. Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo
1: just those little flourishes are so cool to me.
2: I'm a big fan of not repeating everything. Yeah. And so there's definitely some songs, too, with backing vocals where I don't use the same arrangement in verse two as I do as, as verse one. And I just I love um, I love keeping it a bit unexpected and having these having these moments and allowing musicians to be a bit more creative than Stuck in a, in a, in a absolutely repeating pattern. And while we didn't use electronics, we did play around with effects on this song. So, you, as you said, you hear that, that slap back delay, uh, on the vocal as I count in. And then there's some really cool, um, delay stuff in the middle eight which we'll get to but um we definitely played around a little bit with some stuff on the drums too
1: yeah no it, it's great and i like the line here well the big black horse that looked this way he said hey lady will you marry me it sounds right there that those vocals get double tracked
2: yeah that's very possible uh, being a beck fan it's always been a favorite trick of mine because that's completely signature beck is always doubling his vocals and some people some people really don't like it um, some people find that it um, it can take away intimacy a little bit, you know, when you're hearing, uh, uh, it, it sounds a little, it makes it sound slightly processed, the voice. But I just think for me, it it links the music to um, a lot of the stuff that I love. You know, Elliot Smith did it a lot as well, the double vocal, and um, there's a vibe to it. It's quite an indie. Uh, trick.
1: Oh no, the way the way you use it here is is brilliant. I love it. Chorus 1 comes in at only 48 seconds. You're already the chorus one. I remember,
2: at... yeah. I remember being told the record company going, eh, you want to get to the chorus by 1 minute."
1: Yeah, well, I, I, honestly it, there was so much going on up to this point that it felt like it would have been longer. I was surprised it was only 48.
0: But I said no. the one for me I said you're not the one for me
1: But I said, no, 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 no no no. I said, no, no, you're not the one for me. No, no. no 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 no. I said, no, no, you're not the one for me. The snare drum comes in here uh, on this with a full drum beat. The guitars sound a bit more full here, KT, maybe like they were uh, panned a little more in the middle. The bass comes in here too, but nothing too fancy, kind of just playing the root notes and kind of locking it down.
2: Yeah, well, I opened up the strumming here, so the, the strumming in the verse is very, very percussive. And then at this t- at this point, it goes into much o- more open strumming. So you get a lot more melodic guitar right. rather than percussive guitar. And um, I would imagine that we probably doubled the guitars and just did a double track of the acoustics just to fatten it up a little bit. Because the thing about this track was we really didn't want to make it bass guitar heavy because we just felt that, that adding a lot of bass was going to, just make it sound heavier and drag it down a little bit and so we really tried to use bass as sparingly as possible and also because my rhythm section i've always considered my rhythm section usually it's bass and drums but I feel like my rhythm section is actually bass, uh, drums and acoustic guitar.
1: For this track, it definitely is. I almost yeah. didn't know if there, I listened to this chorus so many times, like, is there bass there? It almost sounds like it could be a percussive overtone.
2: We tried to make it as subtle as possible, so I'm glad that, I'm glad that we achieved that. And the other thing that, that happens with bass is if your ear hears bass, it then misses it once it's gone. And, and it can, so I do a lot of two-piece shows sometimes, me and a drummer, I'll do a, two, a white stripe style um, two-piece show, and of course there's no, but we sometimes trigger some bass part, like low sub synth parts, but it's so interesting that if, if you don't introduce bass, the ear kind of does that thing that the eyes do, which it fills the space without needing to hear all of that stuff, you know, it's it's amazing because a, a song that hugely influenced me, which I love, is uh, "Blister in the Sun" by the Violent Femmes. Oh yeah! So I heard that um, when I was over doing my senior year of high school in America, and I was introduced to "Blister in the Sun." And another song that's similar to that is um, is a Cure song. Um, I think it might be "Friday I'm in Love," something like that. But it's two songs that you th- you remember being big, fat, full songs. And then you go back and listen to it and Blister in the Sun hardly has a kick drum. I don't even know if it has a kick drum, (laughs) but it doesn't. I mean, it's got almost no bait. It's like there's no bottom end. Same with the, the, the Cure track. I remember going back and, going, whoa, this is, like, frequency-wise, this is actually a very limited, narrow-sounding song, but your body feels the song so much that you kind of fill in the gaps. So that's what we wanted to do with, with Black Horse, really, was, was leave space and, and kind of reset your ears so you're not missing a big, fat bass, which ends up, filling up all the space
1: that's a really interesting take well you just mentioned uh, a little bit back about how uh, you were saying no 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 you're not the one for me and that's basically what the chorus is saying here the last line you sing just by yourself no band the band stops you're not the one for me the vocals alone there and then who woo who uh, takes us right back into a two bar reintro. Acoustic guitar is doing some more single note thing here along with the kick drums and the uh, the stick on the stand, we'll call it, before we get right into verse two. Stand percussion, we'll stand, call it. Stand percussion.
2: And my heart hit a problem in
0: the early hours, so stopped it dead for a beat or two. Cut some cord and I shouldn't have done it, and it won't forgive me after all these years. Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. So I sent it to a place in the middle of nowhere with a big black horse and a cherry tree. Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. Now I won't come back because it's all so happy, and now I got a whole world to see. Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo.
1: And my heart had a problem in the early hours, so I stopped it dead for a beat or two. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. But I cut some cord, and I shouldn't have done it. And it won't forgive me after all these years. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. So I sent her to a place in the middle of nowhere, with a big black horse and a cherry tree. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Now it won't come back, because it's oh-so-happy. And now I've got a hole for the world to see. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo.
2: I mean, it's when I listen to it now, it's there's a lot of deep, profound stuff around those lyrics that's a little bit difficult to describe. But the heart hit a problem thing was I had a heart murmur when I was born. And I know this because I was adopted. And so it said on my adoption certificate that. I had this heart murmur. And this whole verse is sort of a a kind of, as I said, slightly difficult to pin down feeling of being cut from a past I knew nothing about and then sort of sent into this different life. I was adopted when I was like 18 days old, but it's always played a pretty big part in my makeup, you know? And I'm not totally sure what the cut some cord thing is about, It's, I guess, to do with that period of time of signing the deal and maybe feeling like I wasn't completely, truly following my true heart. And I think I felt very torn, as I said, and uh, discombobulated about being in this situation where I was kind of feeling like I was partly working for someone, which I was desperately trying to avoid. And so I think it was just conflict of thinking, you know, is my heart going to forgive me for for betraying her on this one? I
1: love that you brought that up because so many times a, a songwriter will be writing a song about a particular thing, but things in their life, be it from the past when they were adopted at 18 days old to any type of strife or happiness can somehow bleed into the song you know mm-hmm. and you're like how where did that come from you know and that, that that's it's really cool you never you never know when those things are going to interject
2: yeah and it's funny because you know talking about it 15 years 18 years later it's like the 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 lyrics make you have a visceral reaction and feeling to them which Sometimes it's different from when you first wrote them. I always think that songs are kind of have a very savant-like nature. They're total fortune tellers where you think you're writing about something at the time and then you realize later on in your life that it was actually a much, much deeper part of your unconscious that was, you know, your, your creative subconscious that was speaking and you know that it was about more than that because it makes you feel something deeper when you remember it.
1: Yeah, well there's a lot going on here in verse two. The first two lines, that double vocal comes back. It's subtle, but it's there. After you say, so I stopped it dead for a beat or two, there's this two-stick rim shot that happens there. So
2: stopped it dead for a beat or two. Woo-hoo. Yeah, it's so cool too because yeah. My hardcore fans totally pick up on that. And so whenever I do that stop, I can see who the hardcore fans are because they do a double clap. Uh huh. It's so cool. It's a really cool moment in the show. I'm like, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? I
1: always talk about this on the show. Those little hooks within songs that kind of go by and you don't think of them as hooks. That's a huge hook when you look out and the audience is clapping. It's so cool. The beat or two. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, On all these years, your vocal goes up an octave there. It really hits this great rasp in your voice.
2: Yeah. I've always had this thing where I don't like verses to exactly repeat. Yes. So I think you'll find throughout all my songwriting that melodically, you know, I like to make sure that the strongest melody beds in the first time round, But... Then I really like to play with the expectation the second time around.
1: It's it's really neat. Well, the back half of verse two, uh, you get those percussive guitar panned off left. What I what I thought was uh, '80s electronic drum fills, which which is it isn't, which is really neat. But on the woohoo here, the first time it happens halfway through, a snare drum comes in. It's very odd placement, but it's super cool. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo.
0: I won't come back, cause it's all so happy, you now I got a whole world to see, yeah. Ooh, ooh,
2: ooh. And it said, no,
1: no, Was that an accident or how'd that come about?
2: No, Steve, Steve's really cool in the way that he builds. And so he's not afraid to be unconventional in the way that he'll build a track towards the chorus. I listened
1: to that part over and over again, I'm going, It it almost sounded and I hate using this word. It almost sounded like a mistake or wrong. I'm like, what is this? And and, and the more I listen to him, like, oh, that's just where they placed it. It's really neat.
2: It might it might have been. I mean, it might have just been it might have been a take. And we yeah. just liked
1: it. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, on the line, now it won't come back because it's oh so happy. A single electric guitar comes in doing a cool single note lick, kind of panned off left. And on the line, the world to see, you go up an octave again there. I love it.
2: Yeah, again, it's just trying to keep building towards that second chorus and and, and ramping the energy up to that that second chorus coming in.
0: And it said no, 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 no Said no, no, you're not the one for me No, 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 no Said no, no, you're not the one for me
1: Second chorus uh, comes in. It's the same lyric as chorus one, except it starts off by saying, and it said instead of, but I said. On the last line, you're not the one for me. The band stops. It's just the vocal. And then, who woo who, we go into a four bar re intro. Halfway through, you say, not the one for me, yeah. And it's like a filtered vocal slightly off left. It's a cool, again, another feature in the song that only happens that one time, but it's a great little flourish. Uh, Then it's followed by uh, another who, who, who. The guitars are doing that single note thing again. And I wrote in my notes, this part just feels good.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, another thing that we did with that first record was we were extremely lean- sparing and discerning about what went on a song so if it wasn't absolutely necessary it was in the garbage so there is no fat basically uh, uh, on that record it's so it's so simple in terms of its arrangements because what we really wanted was for when you listen to this album to be able to imagine a person playing that thing. That there isn't a sound coming from somewhere, you know, ethereal where you don't know what it's on or who's playing it. It's just like, oh, the drummer's playing that. Oh, the guitarist is playing that. And oh, there's someone clapping in the corner. We wanted to make you feel like you were in the kitchen while we're playing this song.
1: I just got goosebumps. You took the words, out. You did, no, you took the words out of my mouth because that's why it translates so well when you do it just by yourself. Because even though this is full band, it still has that personal thing to it that when you yeah. go, it's just as magical as the recording. You can't get that with a lot of songs. They just you don't, they, yeah, don't right. they don't translate they don't translate the singer-songwriter on, on a bar stool somewhere.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm a huge Carol King fan, and I, I consider tapestry you know my, my songwriting Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think that she does that so beautifully on that record, where you're hearing humans. You're not hearing recordings. You're hearing, you know, you're hearing people expressing. And I think that's, that's what we, that's what we were inspired
1: by oh yeah some of those 60s um, motown records and things they were yeah. just those those happy mistakes they're in the studio and you know someone's after a take they say i don't know i could have played that better and the producer's going uh-uh no yeah. there's, there's something magic that happened on that take we're, we're not we're not doing that again you know and that's yeah exactly it's so cool well the middle eight here uh which uh, we also call the bridge <laughs> I said, no, 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 you're not the one for me, woohoo. No, 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 no. Woo-hoo. No, no, no. Woo-hoo. No, no. You're not the one for me. So lyrically...
2: I mean, interesting stuff, huh? Well, no. <laughs> you know,
1: I, I was just going to say, sometimes you don't need more information. It's interesting. The bridge isn't that uh, different than what's going on in the chorus, but but it works brilliantly here where you went with it.
2: There's just also some cool looping aspects where we've got some like do 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 and then a little a little harmony to that going on as well and so it's really just uh it's really just a breather sometimes a bridge is just a break right from lyrics and you know slightly more complex arrangement to just reset you to enjoy the final chorus and um and really in a song like this the bridge is there to provide, I think, some just great rhythmic energy where it's kind of like a breakdown dance party, take your shoes off, and then, you know, get back into singing once the chorus comes in. So it's really just a kind of a little percussive journey into into breakdown before the chorus comes in again.
1: Well, this part's great, and I got some stuff I want to talk about. The woos here. It's interesting. They're panned off left and it's just the melody. There's no harmony here. Was that discussed in the studio? And why wasn't there a harmony put on those?
2: Yeah, it's about, you know, a breakdown in a song is about stripping back. So it's about taking uh, whatever you can out to thin the track out to the kind of the more um, driving percussive elements. So a lot of songs that you'll hear that have breakdowns do that. It's just like, what's the bit of this song that makes you dance the most and and then you strip it back and then you can you know you're really you're basically giving yourself space to slam back in to finish the song
1: well that kick drum's still here that stick percussion acoustic guitar slightly pan left oh
2: and i should say as well we did record the bass drum with a beater not with a kick pedal So we used a really big fur beater.
1: Which makes complete sense because I almost thought that your palm was hitting an acoustic guitar and you delayed that or reverbed that and looped it. It almost sounds like that.
2: Yeah, it was a big bass drum. It was a bigger than normal bass drum skin, And so it sounds kind of like a, you know, a marching band bass drum.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it, it's cool. And then that muted strumming, that percussive thing is is really evident here. I think I mentioned that earlier. It doesn't sound like those electronic drums here at all. You can really tell what it is. And maybe when it was mixed, maybe some of that delay was pulled off here, so it was a little more immediate.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You yeah. definitely want to go drier at this point. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I think that's great. And then last thing here, one of the coolest parts is this high guitar uh, delay it's like swirling between the left and right speakers. I, the only way I can describe it, it kind of sounds like seagulls.
0: <laughs>
2: I can't remember that, so I'll have to go back and listen. But <laughs> yeah. I know that like, Steve and I were both big fans of um, like rotor cabinet. Oh, billets. yeah. So I wonder... I wonder if we did something like that on it.
1: It's really, it's really awesome. And then the the big surprise was the last chorus of this song, which really it's almost like a verse mixed with a chorus because you're still yeah. you're still getting those no no no's in there from chorus one and chorus two, but they're tucked behind the lead vocal. I'm
0: not alone for me. Big black holes and a cherry tree. I can't quite get that cut. Like me.
2: I will say that right, right before we go into that is one of my favourite musical moments I've ever recorded, and that that is the open hi hat break going back into the last chorus, which goes.
1: Yes, and
2: is that with a hand claps? Yeah, you're not the one for. And it's actually like a real disco style break, and it's not what you would expect. You would expect like a rat dabadum dum. Yeah, and it's this this pure 70s disco hat break going back into the chorus and i love when i'm playing with the drummer when we play that break back into the last chorus it's awesome
1: it it is and and there's there's some hand claps that happen there in that part you're talking about and then we get here to like i said it's it's like a verse mixed with a chorus i love how they interweave and i'm gonna read these lyrics and have you have you set them up a big black horse and a cherry tree I can't quite get there cuz my heart's forsaken me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo-hoo. Big black horse in a cherry tree. I can't quite get there cuz my heart's forsaken me. There's another woo-hoo on that last line. The band stops on heart's forsaken me and it sounds like here KT that low notes of a B3 organ panned off to the right come in doing this cool new me- little melody.
2: Yeah, that's possible. I would, again, I would have to listen to it, but that, that um, <laughs> it's, and it's is that awesome. the first time that happened? That's
1: the first time it happens. The only time I hear it. That's cool. Yeah. Well,
2: I will definitely go back and check that out.
1: It is really cool. We were,
2: we were definitely just reaching around the corners of the studio for whatever was available. So um, I think, you know, it's the other thing is that Steve and I have really enjoyed drama in songs and so you know you don't get a more dramatic ending than a dead stop with the vocal left on its own that's like classic yes drama song stop
1: i'll tell you what else i like about that is the vocal alone here uh the band stops on the word hearts and you say forsaken me alone that's how the song ends it's really personal but it's not a super dry vocal there's still like this slap echo on it slightly that gives it like it's very vibey it's great
2: yeah, well, it's that Lennon, you know, signature Lennon yeah. hard slapback reverb, which A, makes you sound really cool, <laughs> um, but B, you know, can't help but give a retro vibe to what you're doing. And, um, and I think that it just links it stylistically to that older blues and rock Uh, material from the 60s and earlier, Um, but you know, all the old guys, I mean, Howling Wolf and Muddy Waters and all those amazing guys, you always used That great hard slapback.
1: Yeah, it's very cool. Well, this song was a a ton of fun to break down. And before we break, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? You know, you've since Eye to the Telescope, you've had six albums after that, seven albums total, uh, the most recent being 2022's Nuts. So anything else you, you got going on you'd like to leave us with before we break?
2: I mean, I just think that it's so uh, it, it's so great to give thanks to this song that kind of came out of a weird birth, birthing process uh, in a very unexpected way. Because I think, you know, no matter what I write from here on out for the rest of my life, this song is just going to remain my signature. It's like, you know, this is how I sign my name sonically. <laughs> is this song, and it's, um, and I'm just so. You know, I'm so proud of it when I walk through CVS and it's, and it's playing on the sound system because not only am I, you know, delighted that it's still getting played and people still enjoy it, but it sounds so different from everything else that's on their sound system. And it's, and it's, it's, it's playing us the blues. And I just think any song that kind of reminds us of how rich that history is and, and what a soulful corner of the music world it is, and what an important corner of the music world it is. Uh, I think it's just really good for us to always hear that, those rhythms and those influences um, coming through a song.
1: That's awesome. Well, that's very refreshing to hear. A lot of artists uh you know they they will listen to my new stuff and they, they don't appreciate where they came from it's like you you, yeah. you you appreciate that this song is still as you say played in cvs and it's your signature song yeah. and, and i
2: still love playing it too i good, love you should. i really enjoy playing it and because i use the loop pedal it's actually still challenging because i have to get it right every time <laughs> i play it and,
1: and for the listeners out there i don't play with a loop pedal because it's too hard so katie it's katie,
2: really difficult yes yes <laughs> There was, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, there was a lady after a show one time and she said, Katie, I got a bone to pick with you. I said, what is it? I'm so sorry. And she said, my (laughs) husband bought one of those loopers and it sounds like shit. I said, I'm really sorry, lady. I don't think it's the loop pedal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: I think it's your husband. And on that, what
1: else could we possibly say? I think I, I think we're going to end there. Thank you so much for sitting in today.
2: Pleasure. It was great fun. I'm going to go back and listen to it again now.
1: Yeah, you got to go listen to that B3 at the end. I, I swear it's for there. sure. I swear I'm not hearing things.
0: <laughs> Why do you go blind each time?
4: That song you are just hearing is Private Eyes, taken from KT's album, Nut, which is an incredible record. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation, but don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back with lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast.
0: This
1: the show. Here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista makes a podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via mp3 only and a short bio to band you might not Know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Battle Views, a New Jersey indie folk group consisting of Ryan and Natalie Rachelson, who will be releasing their first album very soon. Here's a snippet of the first single. Home.
3: Chris and Chris.
4: Chris, as usual, I loved that episode. I thought that was awesome. What's funny about this song, I guarantee there were a decent amount of listeners who were like, what song is that? And the second they heard it, the second they heard, woo, they were like, oh, that song. This song has lived on way past when it was first released. You still hear this song today. KT referenced it to us that, you know, she still appreciates hearing it in a CVS now. <laughs> this this song lives on. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, when when this thing popped in the UK, Less Than Jake was was over there a lot during this time period and it, this song was everywhere. It was in malls and taxis, at venues, at at uh, bars, restaurants. It was it was it was literally everywhere.
4: This song really exhibits the power of the loop pedal. Is this the first loop pedal centric song that we've talked about on this show? I'm tr- I I think so. I know we've discussed
1: Discuss looping and, and things. but I don't know if we we talked uh, specifically about a loop pedal, but yeah, I, I we talked about it at the end, uh, KT and I about how I think that's why this song translates so well when she goes just by herself and she can get those sounds pretty close to what happened, you know and like I said, go watch. For the listeners, go watch her live videos of this. It is awesome. It's so cool how she's going back and forth. That's why I was joking with her about, do you multitask outside of music?
4: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Hey, I mean, go watch the Jules Holland performance. It's on YouTube. That's what was her big break is what she said. Luckily, Nas dropped off that episode. I love Nas. And she told us after we were done recording, I have to mention this. That when she was on Jules Holland, the other people that were with her were Anita Baker, Jackson Brown, and The Cure, (laughs) which is what a lineup. That show is incredible. I showed her after I have a DVD of all Bjork's performances on Jules Holland. That would be like the ultimate, I mean, especially in the UK, the ultimate I don't know, place to play music, you know, to get your music out to the world.
1: And you want to talk about Vulnerable. And when you watch her, you can see that she, because this Jules Holland is like, you know, the, the the biggest shows that we have here in the States, the, the nighttime shows. It's as, it's as big as you could have gotten back then in, in the UK. And you can tell she's scared. I can just see her. And she's like, this is my moment. I better do, I better shine. And she killed it
4: she killed it she did kill it and she mentioned how for a lot of people it was the first time they saw someone playing with the loop pedal and i i, I still remember one, one my friend greg was one of the first people i knew who's really good with the loop pedal and it's amazing because one person can sound like an entire band uh-huh you know yeah uh, but it's a there's a real art to it she mentioned how <laughs> she inspired so many people to buy loop pedals and if you're not good with it or you're just not good in general that loop pedal isn't gonna magically make you good like you have to be it is a true art to be able to create music with that pedal yeah i
1: i have one and i've messed with it and i can do a couple things here or there but no it's not not my forte and, and what she does with it is, is absolutely fantastic i love that she talked about uh, producer steve osborne and how You know, he wanted to kind of keep it basic, which goes back to the blues. You know, on paper, this doesn't really strike you as like, oh, this is a blues song, but it's rooted in that. And it's just rooted in that realism. And, you know, there's not a, a ton of stuff going on in this song production wise but yet there is. I know that sounds c- uh, c- contradictive, but it it's I just love the, I just love the production of what they did here.
4: Yeah, it sounds perfect. It sounds like you're in the room with her playing it. Like you said, that's why it has stood the test of time. That's that's why it's timeless. You know, it doesn't sound you know, overproduced or anything or sound like of a time. If this song came out right now, be a hit right now, right? I mean, what is there to stop it from being? It will always sound good. I thought it was really cool when she got into talking about her lyrics. She talked about how there's these parts of your subconscious that come out in your lyric writing that sometimes you don't realize until after. It could be years after, and you could be like, oh, I was writing about this, and I didn't even realize it at the time. Yeah, and and she was just so so honest about a lot of things
1: i i love her enthusiasm the smile on her face when she was talking about how almost 20 years later, how much this song means to her, how she recognizes that it's her signature song. We've had people on the show, Chris, and how many times have we seen it out there and uh, interview land with artists that denounce their hit. Oh, I was just, a, <laughs> oh, I, I hate that song. I, I don't, or, or I'm gonna be the artist right now and I'm not gonna play it at the at the big show. And it's like, dude, that's your signature song, you know? And they turn their back on
4: it, and, and she's embraced it. It would be kind of hard not to embrace this <laughs> this one. It's a really good song. Once again, it sounds timeless. Like even this far into her career at this point, I'm sure she'd still be psyched if she wrote this song. Whereas, I don't know, I have songs from early in my music career where people like them and I understand what they like about them, and I'm kind of like, ah, uh, you know, the our presentation on that song or just our musical proficiency on that song or the recording of it sounds dated but I think it probably helps when you have something that sounds this awesome this many years later.
1: Absolutely and I I love the fact that she just got signed to to a major record deal and here's a song that she was writing about that experience and how she just you know it, it, it felt right in one sense but it felt so wrong in another sense she was conflicted about it and it bled into the lyrics with those other life influences. She talked about how she was adopted at 18 Days old and subconsciously how a couple of those lyrics got into this
4: song. So really cool how this thing got put together. Yeah, for sure. I also love that she talked about not having a lot of musical influence from her parents, you know, yeah. and I I kind of related to that a little bit. My parents listened to some music, but they weren't like big music heads. But I do love that she dropped the Vangelis influence, the Chariots <laughs> of Fire guy, yes. you know. Uh, by the way, R.I.P., he passed away, I think it was in 2022 or 2021. Passed away in recent years, but uh, I think that was a pretty cool influence because she talked about how, like, his use of synths was inspirational, which, yeah, and I love that she talked about those songs, which, hey, I'm a bass player, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I love talking about this, but it, it is true. Songs like Blister in the Sun, uh, where there isn't that low end, and you don't even notice that it's not there. If it's not introduced, it sounds full, even without so much of the bass.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's it's that that stripped down thing where if, if it's there, you, you know you're gonna you're gonna notice it. It might take over the other parts of the song, but if it's not there and you don't miss it, you don't miss it. It's just it's just not there, and it's something we really haven't talked about too much on the show. But I'll tell you something we have talked about a lot on the show, Chris.
4: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, but there is something that you shouldn't miss. <laughs> what have we yes. talked?
1: What have we talked about uh, umpteen times?
4: Yeah, I know, I know. There people are probably <laughs> sick of us talking about it, but. If you're not a member of our supporting cast, which you can sign up for at ChrisDemakes.com, uh, I don't know. What are you waiting for? You get a bonus episode of our after-party podcast every week plus a giant back catalog of the episodes. It's a whole entire podcast that we do. Do you know we have a second podcast, Chris? It's called The After Party and uh, for a few bucks a month you can support the podcast and get a lot of bonus episodes. So ChristaMakes.com is where you can go if you want to be part of The After Party.
1: That's right and we'd love to have you. We'd also love to have you in our Facebook group, the ChristaMakes a Podcast Facebook group with over 4,500 members. That's a lot of people. All active members. Great discussions in there. It's a lot of fun and I'm still right in those custom songs and jingles for you or that special someone or for your business or whatever you have in mind, hit me up for info at chrisdemakes at gmail.com. I'd love to write a song for you or that special someone. And I want to thank this week's guest, KT Tunstall for
3: sitting with us and we'll see you next week. Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road.